and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Welcome to Secrets of Organ Playing podcast number 86. Today is Sunday, March 19, 2017. And today's guest is uh, a young American organist, Matthew Cates. Uh, who is an avid lover and player of classical music from Chopin and Rachmaninoff at the piano to Messiaen and Durufle at the organ. He has a huge passion for composition and improvisation as well. Matthew currently studies organ with Dr. Timothy Olsen as a junior organ major in the high school program at the University of North Carolina School of Arts. He won second prize at the 6th annual UNC as a Salem College High School organ competition where he performed Bach and Lites. He also won two superior prizes for piano performance in the 2013 and 2014 ACSI competitions. Matthew started his piano study at the age of 9 with Carly Carnes. His passion for music continues and is very dedicated to playing and performing music from the Baroque to contemporary compositions. In this conversation, Matthew shares his insights on the flow in performance, adjusting to tracker action and other organ stories. Let's go to the show. So Matthew, I'm so delighted you are joining this conversation. We're connecting from very different countries and uh, very different time zones, right? Uh, yes. Uh, okay. What morning time? Here. Morning, right? Eleven o'clock, I see, uh, uh, in your in your place. And here in Vilnius is um, uh, is at six o'clock in the evening. So, oh. uh, thank you so much for joining together and uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Great. Uh, usually, we'll start these conversations uh, by sharing the uh, stories of our childhood, or maybe, uh, how, do you remember the story, how you first fell in love with the organ? Can oh, you yes. share us? Um, yes, I was, I was, my mom was a janitor at a church, and they had a nice big pipe organ, and I was helping her one day after school clean the church. And I remember hearing the organ, but it wasn't like I had heard it before. It wasn't all soft and slow, and it wasn't hymns. I heard somebody playing the ending of Maurice Durfle's The Divine Creator, and I heard somebody playing the, the final toccata from his suite, or Prelude of Daggio and Chorale Variations. And I thought to myself, wow, I really, really want to play that. And so I went up to the organist there, and I talked to him for a while, and then I tried to convince my mom to let me study the organ, and it worked out. And I, I studied the organ for about a year, and it went really, really well. And then I switched schools and went farther up north uh, to school, and my organ um, progression, so to say, slowed down mm-hmm. for a very for my for my entire uh, school year last year, until um, I was offered a scholarship to the the, the School of the Arts in Winston Salem for organ. And so I accepted the scholarship and I went there and now I'm progressing from nominally everything is going great and I have an amazing teacher there and I play the organ every every single day. 
wonderful story. And how old were you? Were were your your basically mom first uh, showed you the sounds and uh, this experience with the organ? How old were you? It was about two and a half years ago. So I was uh-huh. I was I was I think fourteen or fifteen. Wow! So that was like a love from the first sight, right? Uh, organ. Yeah. What what um, amazed you about the organ from the beginning? Uh, magnificent sound, or maybe uh, complexity of it, or maybe combination of any other things? It it wasn't any of those. It was the stories it could tell. Really? For yeah. example, um, music is. I don't like using adjectives to describe music. It's very dangerous because, for example, um, Beethoven's Piano Sonata Number no. Seven. It seems the last movement. It seems really humorous, in a way. Mm-hmm. But there are also other people who would say it is tragic because it opens with a, a two-note or three-note um, motive, and then it's very interruptive, and it never allows it to develop anymore, and so. It gives it that tragic sense of a music never being able to go forward. So I don't like using adjectives to describe music. I think music is best described by sound and by music. Mm-hmm. But I guess what I have to say, the stories that you can tell through the organ, through using the combinations and the different colors of the, the combinations and the stops, the stories are very much unprecedented to other instruments because you have an entire orchestra at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. And the, being able to share your emotions and feelings with other people and carry people on journeys without having to speak is very, very much connected with me. Right. That's actually one of the first times I hear this. Uh, Many people, you know, fall in love with the organ because of the sound, the majestic sound, complexity of uh, construction, Mm -hmm. right? Acoustics, right? Environment, mysterious environment, if you are in a cathedral. Um, But for you, it's storytelling, right? Stories. Yeah. Uh, without words, right? Without and, words. And, and how it connects uh, with people and uh, uh, with Emotion, the perform no. emotionally, right? So it's very interesting. Do you remember what was the first uh, thing you played on the organ? The first piece I played on the organ was the Maurice Dorf play, the, the choral variations on Vanny Carrator. Oh, that's not a very easy piece. So you must have had a great piano technique by then. Um, I had studied piano a lot before then, mm-hmm. and I started. I, my main focus on piano um, was Chopin, mm-hmm. and so I did a lot of Chopin piano, along with uh, Rachmaninoff and Debussy, and then I transferred over into the organ. And so I guess you could say that I had a decent piano technique at that time. Wonderful, wonderful. Do you think that piano technique uh, helps uh, when you perform? Uh such a um, virtuoso music as Maurice Durufle. Mm. Uh Very much so. Very it much helps so, a lot. Yeah. And especially learning how to feel when the hammer strikes the strings in the piano, learning the sensitivity and how to control that with utmost precision is very helpful, especially on tracker organs. Right. Uh, now, Matthew, when you practice... Uh, uh, organ music. Do you also play it on the piano as well? 
do. You do. I do. Do you do you feel that it's 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 a sp- separate touch uh, like organ touch when you, you when you p- try to play piano or do you still play piano with dynamics like normal normal piano touch or you adjust uh, to the organ touch? What's your story? I, I I I express the music in different ways on whatever instrument I play it on. If it's the harpsichord chord or the piano or the organ, I express it very differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you said, the piano I use dynamics. The organ you use stops and colors and swell pedals and choir pedals and crescendo pedals. And then for the harpsichord, there's various things like the different pedals you can press and the and the arpeggiation of the chords and stuff like that. So I do. It's very different for me. Mm-hmm. Right. It's very different. Even even though you would play the same piece on several different instruments, right? You would play it right. differently. Very differently, mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I see. Is it difficult for you then to adjust, go going back to the organ from it's the not. piano? It's no? not. You. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's the most challenging thing for you right now uh, when you play the organ? Um, I would have to say that. Well, I'm I'm playing recital Saturday at Duke, mm-hmm. and the the particular organ I'm playing on is very very stiff. It's a tracker, so it's very very stiff. But my my main concern for that is keeping it clear, and and because it, it's in a big acoustic, and so I want to be able to keep it clear and clean, but still be able to hear the music very well, and still not. I don't want to sound like a robot, but I want it to be clean. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, as clean that, as possible, right? As clean as possible, but still flowing. That's what I'm flowing. I want it to flow so, very well. Um, flow. Do you record your recitals, Matthew? Uh, I, I will record it. Yes, you I will. will. Uh, so, will. did you know that uh, it's very easy to make a CD or even DVD out of a recording uh, of a live performance today? Yeah, I did. I've made. I've made one CD. Uh, of once already of myself performing some works. Mm-hmm. So you would actually uh, would be like would like actually to play as clean as possible and fl- in a flowing uh, matter manner, right? So that uh, no mistakes, right? No no um, ciphers, right? Uh, and it would be like a like a CD, clean CD performance, right? Correct. But Correct. it's not yeah. that easy, right? Uh, what's not. what's what's the most challenging pe- uh, thing for you to uh, to think about when you play the organ in public? I know you can play fluently when practicing by yourself, right? We all can. Of course, but when can. when somebody else is uh, uh, looking at us, right? In case in your case, uh, at Duke, for example, maybe a hundred people might be there, right? So, yeah. what changes in that situation in your mind? Um, you have to get up there when, of course, you have to get up and they're all clapping it in the beginning, and you bow at the audience, and you and you're nervous because you're about to walk to the organ and play in front of all these people. You have to think to yourself: if any one of these people were up here, they would feel the same thing I'm feeling, and also. There is no such thing as a perfect performance. I've never heard one. I don't think I ever will hear one. You have to know that everybody makes mistakes, and you just gotta just kind of roll with it. Just go along with it. If you can make one or two mistakes in a recital, that's amazing. It's it's great. I would be more than happy with a few or a couple mistakes because 
that gives it character. It shows that you're not perfect, but that you've worked hard enough and you've perfected your craft. Mm -hmm. And I think anybody who knows how to play and knows how hard it is to play in front of people, and especially knows how hard it is to play very virtuosic works in front of people, knows that it takes a lot of effort and time, and that if you can perform it well and only have a few mistakes, that's really that's really quite good. So you have to be forgiving, uh, for, right, forgiving. for your for yeah. your own. Um, Mistakes, failures, right? Yeah. Don't judge yourself too much, right? Yeah, try not to judge yourself. Because uh, really, people come to your recitals to enjoy the music, right? To enjoy the yeah. stories that you are telling, to enjoy the mm -hmm. emotions that you are transferring to them, right? The energy. Yeah. And um, they are not there to criticize you, at least most of them, yeah. right? Uh, some, of them are. some of them are, right? <laughs> like uh, your professor might be, but. but um, Let me ask you about your mentors and professor. Who is your professor right now? Who who is studying? Um, my professor is Dr. Timothy Olson. He is my professor at mm -hmm. the University of North Carolina School of the Arts and, and the Music Conservatory. There, right. So, uh, in this year uh, when you're studying, right? Uh, um, what do you remember most about uh, your professor? Right now, what's the first thing that comes to mind? He's kind. He is kind. So kindness is is a is a, a virtue for you, right? A very yeah. A very valuable attitude that that people mm -hmm. can have, right? Do you like professors, or maybe have you met professors who are very strict, very uh, strict with themselves and maybe with, with their students as well? Like, do you remember? the story about uh, Charles-Marie Marie Vidor, how he came first to Paris Conservatory and uh, he became the teacher there, professor of organ, and he, uh, he uh, became a successor of César Franck. César Franck was loving, kind, just yeah. like your professor probably today. And um, Vidor was completely different. He was yeah. maybe cold, maybe strict and... Um, like a fatherly figure, figure, yeah, but in a yeah. way very like like a soldier, right? Everybody was yeah. afraid of them. So, um, have you met those people in in your experience? Oh yes, I I I'm not going to name names because I don't want to put anybody out there or be be rude to anybody. Mm -hmm. But I have had a professor like that, and it's rough. It is. It's rough. Yeah. Emotionally rough, and. To me, I always want to be really, really good friends with, with, with my professors. Mm -hmm. And if someone is strict or unkind or cold or maybe diminishing to your personality or tells you that you're not doing this and that and that you're, you're bad and all this and that you're not where you're supposed to be and blah, 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 all that stuff, mm -hmm. it's, it's a put down and yeah. it really hurts you. Yeah, but if, if you can get a professor that's really like the one I have now, he's he's not only my professor; he's really kind of my best friend as well. He's really encouraging. I mean, heck, me and him went out and had ice cream and pizza together one night. Like we just we we, we he's a he's a cool man. He's nice. He's encouraging, and encouraging is really big too. Mm -hmm. he's encouraging. That's really it helps your students along. Yeah, and he's very helpful, right? He, he helps you advance to the next level in organ playing. Yes. Constantly, yeah, with his uh, inspiration, right? Yeah, very much. Mm -hmm. With his own example, perhaps, right? Yeah, his own, his own selfish person. Mm -hmm. He's an example. Yeah. 
So, Matthew, uh, of course, we all need uh, those people who are above us, right? Uh, who can lead yeah. us. Uh, do you think that we need people who are our peers, basically, uh, who are at our own level? Uh, maybe your own colleagues, your your friends, right? Uh, do you mm -hmm. have uh, friends uh, at uh, at University of North Carolina? I do. Um Particularly my organ studio, and I can name one off the top of my head. I'm not going to say his last name, but his first name is Davis. Mm -hmm. He he is definitely my best uh, friend in the organ studio in terms of colleagues. He's very very helpful. He's always willing to help, and and we all we all give each other advice. I, I'll give him advice, and he'll give me advice, and same goes for anybody else in my studio. We're all we're all there to help each other and make each other better. Mm -hmm. It's very important to have people your own level, and people, and even people below you. Because if you have people that are not quite your level yet, you can share your experiences with them and help them to reach that level. That was Matthew. My uh, next question, right? Oh, yeah. We need uh, those superior people who can lead us, right? We need yeah. our equals, and we also need those who can be our. Uh, Um, we can be examples to them, yeah. right? Like, yeah. like, like mentors to them. Our younger colleagues, perhaps. Um, um, when we are older, our students too. Uh, so, yeah. so Matthew, how can we lead those people who are not at that level today, but uh, who can still look up to us, right? Uh, what's mm. your experience? Um. Well, you need to be understanding of their personal situations. Some people don't have access to organs, hardly at all, so they can't practice very much. Some people are not as talented or as gifted as others, so they might progress slower or if they're talented, might progress faster. So you really need to work with the individuals and l learn them, respect them, and go off of their personal needs mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. very much you have to have empathy, empathy right yeah be very understanding understanding um, what their needs are the, their challenges right yeah And you have to remember how you first started right perhaps mm -hmm. um, when you have more experience with many organs right you travel a lot and you play different yeah. recitals many hundreds of pieces perhaps are under your belt so to say you tend to forget what your first challenge was, right? Maybe mm -hmm. you feel so experienced. Even today, right? You are playing uh, uh, in, in a few days, uh, the day after tomorrow, right? Recital, yeah. right? And many of your friends are not at this level yet, right? Who, who are maybe, who will be playing recital, but uh, maybe in a few months or in a few years at best. Yeah. So... So yes, uh, how can we encourage them without uh, without being too, you know, too, um, too we soft. have to be too soft. We still have to yeah. be realistic, right? We cannot yeah. say, "Oh, it was wonderful," when in reality, <laughs> performance wasn't. wasn't wonderful it at was, all. It was, it was terrifying. <laughs> Ter terrifying, yeah. So how do you? How do you? You probably take an example from your own professor, right? How he yeah. treats you. So, how do you um, get uh, give feedback to people who fail a lot and make mistakes? Yeah. How you can remain 
kind well, to them. Um, but honest. The 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 my personality and me is sometimes I have I have an extreme when I'm honest, and that sometimes I can be too honest. <laughs> And so you have to have a balance of being understanding, but also being realistic and honest. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to name people, but there are some people that I know that decide that they think that it'll be okay if they don't practice much. And they go out to perform, and they'll get halfway through a few, and it's, it's okay. It's not great or anything, but it's okay. And then they'll make a mistake, and they'll stop, and it'll it'll ruin the whole piece and then their mindset's off and they can't recover from it and then the rest of the piece is just stumbling around trying to think get to the ending of it you have to be honest with them sometimes you have to um, scold them get on them tell them that they need to practice more it takes you have to t- you have to understand that when it comes to organ or any instrument any instrument any any profession anything you want to be good at painting for example anything it takes work it doesn't come free it's, it doesn't. Nothing comes free. You have to work at it. I put, on average, about six hours a day to the organ every single day. Mm-hmm. You have to work very hard. Mm-hmm. And if you don't work, you're not going to get anything out of it. You want to put out of it what you get in. Are you going to get out of it what you put into it? It's not going to come free. You can't sit down for an hour, and then play a recital and expect the recital to be good. It's not going to happen. The recital's going to suck if you play an hour. So you have to really put in the effort and be realistic with the people and tell them that they also have to put in the effort because if they don't put in the effort they're not going to be good mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's effort and effort work uh, effort effort uh, grit right uh, basically yeah. uh, be persistent right uh, be persistent. In, yeah. in the face of constant challenges constant failures right mm-hmm. and you have to keep focused keep uh, keep Keep your keep positive attitude, basically. Keep yeah. hopeful, hopeful that the time will come when you master this particular spot, which still exactly. gives you trouble today. Uh, so, Matthew, what's your uh, plan um, for the future? What uh, would you like to do with the organ when you you're done with your well, studies? I would. I want to be a professor at a university or a conservatory. And I would also want to be a traveling concert organist mm-hmm. and give a bunch of recitals and stuff. Which Combination is, of teaching and performing, right? Exactly. Do you like uh, Do you like to 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 work at church? Uh, would you like to be a church musician as well, or or not so so much? Um, not so much. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not. It's, it's a valuable skill, and we need those people who play hymns and stuff. But hymns have always. I, I can play hymns, and I can. Improvise off of hymns and stuff, but it, I don't. I don't enjoy it, mm-hmm. and I really want a profession where I can enjoy it and not have to get up and go to work every day and just be ready for it to be over. I want to be able to have fun life and be able to enjoy what I do, love it. Mm-hmm. And I know that I love teaching and I love showing people other things and how to better themselves in music and especially music. And I know that I like telling stories to music and playing recitals and stuff and telling music stories and playing the organ and I I would love to do that combination of both because that would make me feel that my life is complete and that I was very happy 
Wonderful dream. I wish you all the best with this. And of course, you have um, probably what, what it takes, right? You have perseverance. You have the right positive attitude. You're not giving up so easily, right? And you are hard working. You 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 play as you say six hours a day. Sometimes it's too much. How your mind feels when you play for four, five, or six hours at the end of the practice session? Is it uh, is it still uh, uh, fresh or or you you ready to go to bed after that? Um. Well, you never practice. You never practice six hours straight through. You pra- I take a break every thirty minutes. Oh, that's great. That's. But see, it's not. It's not a break where I stop and go sit down and watch TV. I think about what I'm doing. Then I think about how in the next thirty minute second segment of my practice I can make it better. Mm-hmm. And so, say there's a water fountain out in the hallway outside of the organ. I'll take a walk around the sanctuary, and then I'll go out to the water fountain and get a water about a three minute break and just get my legs stretched and walk around and just, just drink a water and I'll come back and I'll set my mind to do what I focused on in the break about thinking about how I should approve it and I'll do that and I'll do that for about two hours and then after two hours I'll take a little bit longer break and I'll relax and get a snack or something, get something to eat and I'll come back and do another two hours the same way and then another two hours the same way mm-hmm. And then if I have a recital, it might be eight hours the day before, and I might do another two hours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So, um, you, you take you frequent like, breaks. Mm-hmm. No way. Mm-hmm. You, you have to stay focused. And you, you during the break, you you really have to uh, stretch, right? Take uh, take yeah. a drink uh, or take a walk around the sanctuary, as you say, right? Do something different than sitting. Yeah. Uh, and thinking mentally, right? You you do some some things uh, a little bit physically too, yeah. so that your body would not remain stiff for a long period of time. Very much, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Matthew, um, your recital is in two days. What are you playing? Can you share with us? Sure. Secret. Um, I'm opening the recital with the Vierne Carillon de Westminster from his Troisième Suite from the uh, 24 Pieces of Fantasy. Right. And uh, then I would playing uh, variations on the Schmuckadich Olibazela by uh, David Johnson, who writes more towards, in my opinion, writes more towards the English romantic style, which is a very nice, very quiet set of variations on that hymn. It's it's very lovely. Um, In the middle of the recital, I'll be playing the Prelude and Fugue A Minor by Bach, the the BWB 543 Um, it's a fabulous piece by Bach and the few is just fantastic and it's so dramatic I love it A minor Uh, right? the A A minor wonderful piece yes fantastic view yes I know that um, then I'll be playing a chorale by Brahms the Shmuka Dico Libazela the same chorale Mm -hmm. but by by setting my Brahms and which is a lovely, lovely, fabulous piece, and I'll, I'll be playing it on the eight-foot gadet on the swell on this organ, and this is particularly more of a German broke organ, so it has a very nice um, flute to play it on. Mm-hmm. And I'll be ending the recital with the Prelude and uh, Dance Fugue uh, by Gaston Littes, mm-hmm. who is a French modernist composer. And he was blind, and right? He was. Yes, he was, he was very blind. blind. He collaborated with uh, Olivier Messiaen and Maurice Duflay and Jean Langlais. He, they all kind of collaborated together and all worked 
and I, I there's a picture it's probably on google but they're all collaborating in a huddle together and they're all talking it's, it's a picture of them all talking I, I just find it so fascinating that they all shared ideas and stuff together so that was that would be your last piece of the recital right Yes, this is more of a short recital. Um, I'm playing a recital in May mm-hmm. for my junior recital, which is my graduation recital of this year of studies at the, at the conservatory. And that'll feature works by Messiaen and Duraflay and Lites and a lot of French stuff. Mm-hmm. Hopefully even some Schoenberg. If Schoenberg variations, right? Yes, variations. Oh, that's a very challenging piece, as I remember. Uh, very virtuosic and absolutely dissonant, right? Yeah, if I can if I can finish the variations, I will have them ready to play. Mm-hmm. Along with the Du Call Me New by Messian mm-hmm. right. and the Prelude and Fugue on Alain by Duraflay. Wonderful. Um, so, out of these pieces for this Saturday, uh, can you name your uh, favorite one? The one that makes your day, so to say. The one, the one that you are very eager to perform. Um, I would have to say it would be the the uh, Lita's Prelude Dance to You because have you heard this piece particularly? Have you heard it? No, but um, but I can imagine the style because it's so modal and uh, yeah, a little similar to Langlais probably f- to other <laughs> composers of that period, right? From the 1970s, uh, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, they all collaborated, as you say. It was a magnificent time to walk in Paris was, and France yeah. and to know that those people are still alive and still active and mm-hmm. their, their energy around the city. Well, it's a cross between, in, in my opinion, it's a cross between Duraflay and Schellenberg. <laughs> really? <laughs> so it's very it's very active and very impressionist, so to say, but it uses the octatonic modes um, like Messiaen would use, and it, it's very, it's very different. It's very unique, but it's, it's thrilling. And the ending is a French toccata. It's a dance fugue, and it ends in the style of a French toccata. And he takes tone clusters and puts them in huge groups of. 10 or 12 notes all at once and it goes in a rhythmic pattern and it's it's thrilling you have the full organ out the shamad the festival trumpets the horizontal trumpets everything is out and it's so loud it makes you just want to get up and dance and it's so fun fantastic uh, and uh, I assume you not only playing this piece but you also have analyzed the structure how it is put together right yeah. that's probably one of the first things you attempt to do right to understand yeah. the composer's mind what went behind the scenes and then you can ap- appreciate the music even more so because you know what the actotonic mode is yeah. right and you yeah. you search for it you search of various uh, appearances of that mode in various uh, transpositions yeah. right yeah yeah Definitely. Also, I forgot to mention, mm-hmm. I am premiering a movement from my requiem in this re- in this recital. Your requiem. Yes. Oh. Uh, uh-huh. yes. Can you tell us a little bit about your requiem and this movement? Sure. Um, it's still a work in progress, as you know. Durfle spent six years on his requiem. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's the work in progress. I've written several new movements from it, but I'm premiering the movement, the Pie Jesu, 
which is for a soprano singer and organ solo. Mm -hmm. I mean, a duet. And it's my, my own personal style when I'm not trying to imitate anybody. It's very impressionist. It's very, very Debussy, Ravel, Dorflay kind of tone palettes, mm -hmm. far A too, in terms of the tone palette. And I try to incorporate old with new in terms of form. I try to keep sometimes old form and use new harmony and explore the new, so to say, the new chemistry of music and the new formulas of this, the chords and stuff. And this was a piece particularly I wrote when I was sad. And it's very, it's a, it's a long story behind that. But it's, it'll take me hours to tell a story. It's a very long story. Mm -hmm. But it's, um, it's, it's very beautiful. I find it, it's my favorite piece that I've ever written. It's very beautiful and very, it's very, it connects with me a lot in terms of emotion and mentally and all, physically as well. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Uh, uh, I am very glad you are uh, taking your um, initiative and uh, composing, right? Composing yeah, for um, organists is probably as important as improvising, right? Do, do yeah. you also improvise, Matthew? Oh, um, I do. As a matter of fact, I, the, the CD I was uh, telling you about earlier mm -hmm. was mostly a CD of recordings of improvisations I did. Oh, wow. I love improvisation. It's, it's one of my hobbies and my loves. I love mm -hmm. it. Um, you know that you could actually um, play, not necessarily this time, but sometime in the future, you could play written down pieces by other composers, masters that you uh, admire. Your own compositions, like like Pia Yezui, for example, mm -hmm. and other things that you are working on, and you can also play a live improvisation, right? Yeah, Not necessarily yeah. uh, upon submitted theme. No, you can come up with the theme right yeah. away. Yeah, make uh, your own theme. <laughs> make up the theme, the theme as yeah. you go, uh, yeah. right? Or even you yeah. can uh, take somebody else's theme from your own recital mm -hmm. uh, repertoire, right? That would yeah. give a nice. Uh, uh, thematic resemblance, right? The people yeah. will probably remember. Oh, I heard Schmuckedig here and there, and I uh, and Matthew is improvising on, on that the same tune. Let's say, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, how would you feel if you would be able to play such a five or ten minute improvisation uh, in between of the uh, real organ repertoire? Um, I would be totally fine with that. Mm -hmm. Improvisation for me is a thing that I don't think about it. It just happens. Once you do it a certain amount and you have that theme in your head, it just happens. And I think it, I, I don't think it would be a problem to be honest. I think that it if you get if you have the confidence to do it, mm -hmm. I think it, I think it will be very good. Uh, now in your studies, do you have uh, improvisation classes uh, or, or or not yet? Um. Sort of, I I will I will improvise sometimes, and I will get feedback on it. Mm -hmm. But it's not a designated class. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's in between. Mm -hmm. But if you took initiative, right, and uh, asked your professor professor for permission to include one or uh, your improvisations here and there, probably he would be fine with this, right? Oh yeah, he would. He would. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He trusts you, right? Uh, that you can. Uh, create music in the moment uh, mm -hmm. uh, 
coherently, structurally well designed and uh, with nice harmonies and rhythmic uh, rhythm, rhythmic uh, integrity, right? Uh, uh, where your listeners will not be bored, right? But you could yeah. actually keep your listeners' attention for five or ten minutes in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's you could, right? Yeah, probably. I mean, I hope I can. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's a yeah. great uh, experiment. Uh, you never know actually what will happen during improvisation, especially oh, yeah. in public. You can't. You think it will go fine, but, uh, but uh, it and it will go fine. But in your mind, it's a, may, might be a failure or disaster, right? But when you listen yeah. to the recording, uh, especially after some time, maybe a month or so, it's not that bad at all. It's uh, not. Yeah. Right. Yes, yeah. we tend to be our uh, worst critics most of the time. Mm-hmm. We do. Great. I, I'm still hard on myself, so yeah. I know how it feels. So, Matthew, when you go back in time for two and a half years, you remember the day when you first started playing the organ. Can you share with us one thing you wish you knew when you first started? I wish I knew how to play the organ because I mean in terms of technical stuff because I did not play a tracker organ for a long time I started on an electro-pneumatic organ and I developed that technique of organ technique and when I got to a tracker it was a, a so much more stiff and hard to press down than an electric action and electric action is easy and you can fly through fast stuff and it's light but when I got to a tracker I had to start over I had to relearn how to play the organ because I couldn't get the keys to go down in proper ways and stuff. So I had to relearn how to play and all. Mm-hmm. So don't don't get comfortable with electric action because if you, you go to the tracker, it will turn your world upside down and light a fire under your butt. <laughs> Great ex- expression, right? And it's it so me- it. meaningful because a lot of times especially uh, people who have electronic organs at home, right? Or yeah. in churches, they tend to practice for hours there. And um, they have a great difficulty adjusting to a real mechanical or tracker action organ. Oh, yeah. uh, especially a large where, where uh, the, when you uh, draw the, the couplers, it makes yeah. uh, the, the sound uh, and uh, action really, really heavy, quite heavy. Um, so that's that was the great challenge for you at the beginning, right? Yes, very huge challenge. Uh, was the pedal playing for you a problem at that time? Um, it took me about three months to get used to it, and after that, it wasn't a big deal. Wow, that's fast. Uh, for me, it, it took uh, about uh, three years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I did a lot of um, pedal exercises, and I learned the Bach, the pedal exercitum, and that that really summed it up for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I remember my colleague who uh, was of my age, and we started together uh, here in Vilnius, uh, uh, and even earlier in my hometown, Klaipeda, uh, play, playing the organ. And when we f- uh, together uh, were at- accepted to the Lithuanian Music Academy, uh, I saw him practicing at the... Uh, at, in one of the practice uh, rooms at the academy, double pedal 
uh, dance some kind of uh, from the movie or or uh, or cartoon that he you know made up in his mind yeah. and he improvised on that melody f- with two feet at the same time this was a unheard feat for me uh, and uh, and i felt so diminished and uh, so <laughs> weak well, uh, right yeah yes that just it's important to keep your confidence up definitely so thank you so much, uh, Matthew, for yeah. your your honest uh, and inspiring ideas. At this, at this level of your experience, of, of this uh, 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 place of your career, right? I wish you all the best in the future that you really would try out so many, maybe 500 different organs, right? And you would huh. get uh, adjusted to each of them in five seconds or more or less. Uh, well, right? thank you. Because it's it's just like like driving a car. The more cars you drive, the more yeah. the easier you get adjusted to each of them, right? Uh, whenever yeah. you take your car to mechanic, right, you know right away that he is a professional uh, with uh, thousands of cars of experience, oh, yeah. right? And yeah. he can back up easily and uh, uh, do all kinds of man- maneuvers with your car, although. Uh, seemingly, he or she sees that car for the first time. Yeah, it's, right. it's, it's fascinating. So that's my uh, uh, basically hope for you that you you would get so much experience with different organs in different countries while touring the world, right? And teaching mm-hmm. in teaching in one of the uh, one of your favorite colleges or universities or conservatories, uh, so that. Uh, so that really you can adjust uh, in no time uh, uh, in any given organ in any situation and of course uh, share musical stories with your listeners which will inspire them as much as uh, they inspire you well thank you I appreciate it so Matthew before we end this conversation can you uh, give our listeners a link where they could find you and your work, you, your recordings online. Yeah, um, I have a YouTube page. It's it's Matthew Gates, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a picture of an organ. <laughs> I think it's the only one. I, I think it's the only Matthew Gates on YouTube that even has a picture of your organ. So it should, it should be pretty easy to find. Um, also, my Facebook page. I post organ stuff on there, and it updates almost every day. The videos and links and pictures of my experience and recitals coming up and calendars and everything so Facebook honestly is the best way just send me a friend request on Facebook and I can you, you'll see everything you need to know wonderful so Facebook YouTube uh, are the great place to to visit you and your work right so yeah th- thank you thank you so much good luck in your recital in a couple of days and uh, let me know when uh, you uh, do your your uh, new recitals, new storytelling events, uh, maybe new recordings, right? What comes sure. up next in your life so, so you could share with our listeners as well. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice, and training for every area of organ playing. 
you can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vida Spinkavitus. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you online really soon.